One year ago, the world was literally at the time bracing for the fall of Kiev. Perhaps even the end of Ukraine. One year later, Kiev stands. And Ukraine stands. Democracy stands. The Americans stand with you. And the world stands with you. Well, they do for now. Let's see how long they still do. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, the voice of Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker... And all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. As we go to air, it is President's Day, a federal holiday here in the U.S. that we generally take very little notice of whatsoever, short of all the mattress and used car sale uh, sale events Desi Doyen. Not just sales, but a used car mattress sale event. Because that's what President's Day is for. Happy President's Day. Today, however, uh, we're going to talk about at least two presidents and about the ability for Americans, perhaps a lost ability, but the ability to keep two seemingly contrasting, conflicting ideas in mind at the very same time. If you can imagine such a thing. If time allows, I'd love to open up the phones today to try and get your thoughts on any and all of uh, what I want to talk about today. We'll see how much I get through. Uh, And as usual, I do have some things to get through. First, President Biden um, and Ukraine, uh, as we are now just days shy from the one year anniversary of the invasion Uh, of uh, Russia's horrific, unlawful, imperial war of aggression against its democratic sovereign neighbor. President Joe Biden swept unannounced into Ukraine's capital city on Monday in a surprise visit to a war zone to meet with President Volodymyr Zelensky. It was a defiant display of Western solidarity with a country still fighting what Biden correctly described as, quote, a brutal and unjust war. 
That during brief comments offered after meeting with Ukrainian pre- the Ukrainian president at Marinsky Palace in Kiev, jabbing his finger for emphasis on the podium as he declared that nearly one year later, Kiev still proudly stands. One year ago, the world was literally at the time bracing for the fall of Kiev. Seems like a lot longer ago than a year, but think back to that year. Perhaps even the end of Ukraine. You know, one year later, Kyiv stands, and Ukraine stands, democracy stands, the Americans stands with you, and the world stands with you. But Russia's aim was to wipe Ukraine off the map. Putin's war of conquest is failing. Russia's military has lost half its territory it once occupied. Young, talented Russians are fleeing by the tens of thousands, not wanting to come back to Russia. Not not just fleeing from the military, fleeing from Russia itself. Because they see no future in their country. Putin thought Ukraine was weak and the West was divided. As you know, Mr. President, I said to you in the beginning, he's counting on us not sticking together. He was counting on the inability to keep NATO united. He was counting on us not to be able to bring in others on the side of Ukraine. He thought he could outlast us. I don't think he's thinking that right now. God knows what he's thinking, but I don't think he's thinking that. But he's just been plain wrong. Plain wrong. Remind us that freedom is priceless. It's worth fighting for for as long as it takes. And that's how long we're going to be with you, Mr. President, for as long as it takes. We'll do it. Thank you. President Biden's remarks in Kyiv on Monday uh, followed those by Vice President Kamala Harris over the weekend at the Munich Security Conference, declaring Russia has committed war crimes in their brutal, unjustifiable attack on their democratic sovereign neighbor. I know firsthand the importance of gathering facts and holding them up against the law. In the case of Russia's actions in Ukraine, we have examined the evidence. We know the legal standards. And there is no doubt these are crimes against humanity. The United States has formally determined that Russia has committed crimes against humanity. She is right. Of course, these are crimes against humanity. These are war crimes. And yes, it is nice that it's not the United States committing them in one of our own wars of choice. For a change. Some may argue that Ukraine has itself committed war crimes in its defense of its homeland against authoritarian neighbors. And that's fine. 
take it to The Hague and have it out if that's what you believe to be the case. Uh, others, and, and we know this is the, the case because I hear from some of our listeners, may wish to argue that the U.S. is somehow to blame for Russia's attack on Ukraine. They are not. We are certainly not blameless, of course, in the entire matter. I've long, uh, for a long time, decried the chest-thumping and saber-rattling from U.S. leaders against Russia. And I might have entertained a critical look at those matters. In fact, I did uh, report critically on those matters for many years, right on up to Russia's invasion. I have not been one of these war hawks, one of these Russia hawks, uh, as you hear from uh, many Democrats are. But once Russia invaded at that point, as I have made clear, well, my opinion is that Russia gave away any, any moral high ground that it might have had. And by the way, it didn't really have a lot, you know, despite what you have uh, heard, uh, which are often wildly misleading, misleading claims about various promises by NATO uh, in Europe after the fall of the Soviet Union. Many of those claims are both wildly exaggerated and they emanate from, yes, Kremlin propaganda in some cases, uh, even here at my own flagship station in Los Angeles, KPFK, they even come from people literally paid by Russian state media on this station, paid to espouse those views, shamefully, without uh, making it clear in any way while on air that they are employed uh, by Russia state run uh, media outlets that are literally registered as foreign agents. So we do try to tell you the truth, no matter how uncomfortable it may be here on the broadcast. Uh, those voices frequently, those uh, critics, I guess, of Ukraine, critics of the U.S. when it comes to Russia's attack on Ukraine, those voices frequently fail to mention, if they ever mention at all, something, for example, known as the Budapest Memorandum. Have you heard of it? It's from 1994, when Ukraine, which was then at the time the third largest nuclear power in the world, as the Cold War was coming to an end, they agreed to turn over all of their nuclear weapons to Russia in exchange for Russia's pledge of security to the former Soviet nation, that Russia would guarantee its security, both Ukraine's sovereignty and its borders. Somehow, those supporting Russian autocracy over Ukrainian democracy seem to forget that. They forget to mention uh, the... Uh, uh, the uh, Accords, the Budapest Memorandum, when they are passing on Russian propaganda about this appalling criminal attack by Russia against Ukraine, this menacing threat to democracy now in Europe again, and yes, worldwide. Today, we can keep two separate opposing ideas in mind at the same time. At least I can. Can you? Yes, the U.S. and the NATO and NATO are imperfect. But nothing Nothing justifies a criminal invasion of a sovereign country by a foreign imperial nation. We oppose that when it is the U.S. who is doing it, carrying out such an attack, as we did when the U.S. invaded Iraq. We oppose it when the invaders are Russian, and it's Russia invading Ukraine. There is nothing in consistency, at least on this program, about our anti-war position, particularly when it is in defense of democracy, democracy at stake, democracy by the defenders at stake. But as noted, 
It is President's Day in the U.S. and where our 46th President Joe Biden has made his own mark today on history with his visit to a war zone. This President's Day uh, is really one for our 39th President of the United States, I'm afraid. Our President from 1977 till 1981, President Jimmy Carter, who understood the existential importance, the existential necessity of democracy, of democracy, long before many of us ever fully appreciated it, or frankly, before many of us still do even now. That is uh, sadly and especially true as war rages in Europe yet again, another war in Europe in which democracy is again called to defend itself from authoritarianism in Europe. And far too many still do not seem to understand that existential uh, value, that existential battle. It is uh, it is much easier, it seems, to hoax people into supporting authoritarianism and tyranny than it is to help them understand the importance and fragility of small d democratic ideals that at least, is something that Jimmy Carter always seemed to understand and one that the great legacy of the Carter Center in Atlanta continues to fight for every day. Eight years ago, at the age of 90, President Carter was diagnosed with an aggressive melanoma, which spread to both his liver and his brain. Incredibly, he survived that threat, uh, though the treatment and a series of falls that followed largely curtailed the activities that he loved to do so much, including building homes for others and teaching Sunday school in Plains, Georgia. At 98, President Carter is the oldest U.S. president in history. He's largely been out of the public eye over the last three years due to declining health and the threat represented by the continuing COVID-19 pandemic, of course. But just last year, um, as part of uh, a series of essays at The New York Times marking the one-year anniversary of the Donald Trump-incited Republican attempt to overthrow the U.S. government back on January 6th of 2021, the former president wrote a New York Times op-ed expressing his concern about the future of American democracy. Uh, one year ago, President Carter wrote at the time, a violent mob guided by unscrupulous politicians stormed the Capitol and almost succeeded in preventing the democratic transfer of power. All, all four of us former presidents, he noted, condemned their actions and affirmed the legitimacy of the 2020 election. There followed a brief hope that the insurrection would shock the nation into the toxic, uh, into addressing the toxic polarization that threatens our democracy. However, one year on, promoters of the lie that the election was stolen have taken over one political party and stoked distrust in our electoral systems. These Forces exert power and influence through relentless disinformation, President Carter wrote, which continues to turn Americans against Americans. Politicians in my home state of Georgia, as well as in others such as Texas and Florida, have leveraged the distrust, the distrust they have created to enact laws that empower partisan legislatures to intervene in election processes. They seek to win by any means, and many Americans are being persuaded to think and act likewise threatening to collapse the foundations of our security and democracy with breathtaking speed. I now fear, wrote Jimmy Carter, a little more than a year ago, I now fear that what we have fought so hard to achieve globally 
The right to free, fair elections, unhindered by strongman politicians who seek nothing more than to grow their own power, has become dangerously fragile at home. Over the weekend on Saturday, the Carter Center released a statement on President Carter's health. They said, quote, after a series of short hospital stays, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter today decided to spend his remaining time at home with his family and receive hospice care instead of additional medical intervention. He has the full support of his family and his medical team. The Carter family asks for privacy during this time and is grateful for the concern shown by his many admirers. Count us uh, on this program as one of those admirers, sending both our great thanks for his decades of service to this country and our hopes uh, for a peaceful, painless transition for the 39th president in uh, the hours ahead as Rosalind Carter, his wife of more than 78 years, and the rest of the Carter family is said to be by his side. I have uh, more to discuss regarding both democracy and the idea of keeping two seemingly different contrasting ideas in mind at the same time that I hope to talk about after a quick break here today. But again, if you'd like to ring in on anything we discussed today, as always, I would love to hear from you as time allows at 818-985-5735. We are in the middle of another fun drive here at KPFK, so you'll need to hit when you call in. 818-985-KPFK. You'll need to hit option number one to join me on the air or, of course, option number two if you'd uh, like to support this program, this station, and this network where we could really use your support right now. But let me take a quick break here and we will return with another democracy-related notion where you will uh, need to keep two seemingly contrasting ideas in your head at once. Specifically, Fox News finally facing a real penalty for all of their years of lies and the idea that, ironically enough, it is voting machine companies who we have also been critical of, who have also worked to hold accountable for some 20 years now for their lies and their failures on both this show and at bradblog.com, uh, the private voting and tabulation system vendors who, do, who did not, however, steal the 2020 election from Donald Trump but whose systems still fail the critical needs of American democracy. We'll try to talk about those stories and take your calls. Uh, I see a few folks have already uh, rung in. Hang on the line. I'll try to get to you as soon as I can. Uh, all of that is straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Several days ago, Dominion came under heavy fire after allegations that their machines caused thousands of votes in one Michigan county to be switched from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Here's one thing I know, Sean, those Dominion software systems, they changed more votes than Vladimir Putin ever did. We talked about the Dominion software. Tell me about that. They were flipping votes in the computer system or adding votes that did not exist. Very little is known about their ownership uh, beyond... the. What you're saying about Dominion. It was created to 
produce altered voting results in Venezuela. I assume that you are getting to the bottom of exactly what Dominion is. There is much to understand about Smartmatic, which owns Dominion voting systems. They have businesses in Venezuela, uh, Caracas. They have businesses in Cuba, and there are also links to China. You said that there may have been kickbacks to some uh, people who accepted the Dominion software. Two of our people and a Dominion employee, we have their affidavits. Here's what they saw. They saw a big truck bringing in 100,000 ballots. They say started in Venezuela with Cuban money and with the assistance of Smartmatic software, a backdoor is capable of flipping votes. They were manipulated by the software used in the Dominion machine. No one knows their ownership, has no idea what's going on in those servers, has no understanding of the software because it's proprietary. The machine ran an algorithm that shaved votes from Trump and awarded them to Biden. Dominion voting systems with you have described it uh, with algorithms in which which were designed uh, to be inaccurate. Dominion executives that proceeded to go about and essentially sell elections to the highest bidder. What is apparently a broadly uh, coordinated effort uh, to to actually bring down this president. The Dominion machine that's as filled with holes as Swiss cheese and uh, was developed to steal elections. We have serious, serious foreign influence problems with this Dominion voting machine. This president is looking at the prospect of having this election stolen from it. I've been all in trying to find a machine fraud, and we've found it. We have all the evidence. Well, they're you know they're not making would... conspiracy theories go away by doing that. You don't answer, right. you don't You don't make people kind of calm down and get reasonable and moderate by censoring them. You make them yeah. way crazier, of course. What does the fuck say? What the fuck say? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how much crazier... You could make Fox News viewers at this point, uh, though I'm not actually sure I want to find out. Uh, and just to be clear, by the way, just so I don't get sued for defamation by rerunning Fox News' lies about them, uh, Smartmatic, a voting machine company which only has one customer here in the U.S., which is in uh, L.A. County here, uh, hardly a swing district in the 2020 presidential election, by the way. They do not. Smartmatic does not own Dominion Voting Systems, a Canadian firm. It never has. No matter how many times they say that on Fox News, though, I know exactly where Fox News got that particular disinformative piece of nonsense. They got it from a misreading of exclusive reporting of mine at bradblog.com way back in uh, 2008 and 2010. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about some of those uh, lies and other nonsense you just heard from Fox News in that montage. But I know that uh, some folks wanted to ring in on a few points I made in the last segment. So uh, let's do it here. Let me go to uh, Steve in Santa Barbara. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Bradcast, sir. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call today. Sure. What's up? Uh, close to a year ago, I called you in one of the segments. I took a, your take on the Ukrainian situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to have a conversation briefly because this is their time. Yep. 
um, where we're not talking over each other. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Um, Steve? Yeah, I'm right here talking about the Ukraine. Right. The fact that uh, Putin uh, has committed. Steve? Oh, boy. Steve, we lost you. I didn't cut you off. If you want to call back, please do. Have no idea what happened. Uh, I, I would like to hear from you, Steve. Uh, let me go to Stephanie real quick in Lancaster. Stephanie, welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind? Hello, Carrie. Thank you for mentioning the Budapest Memorandum. Just, just to be clear, to you, you're you're on the air with Brad, not Carrie Harrison. Go ahead, Stephanie. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm so sorry. <laughs> Quite I'm sorry. all right. I to both of you. Okay, yeah. I just wanted to point out that the USA and the UK were were equal partners uh-huh. in co-signing uh, with Russia. Mm-hmm. So. Russia's invasion of Ukraine not only betrayed Ukraine, mm-hmm. but the USA and the UK mm. and and the world. Yep. And because of that agreement, USA is actually contractually bound to support Ukraine in its defense against Russia in this war. Excellent point, Stephanie. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. And and I guess, you know, if you if you hear a lot of the stuff and nonsense, appreciate the call, Stephanie, if you hear a lot of the stuff and the nonsense that you're hearing echoed out of the Kremlin, uh, whether it's to uh, right wingers on Fox News, whether it's to left wingers here on uh, Pacifica Radio Network or other stations, uh, they, they they rarely, if ever, mention anything about the Budapest Memorandum for some reason, where, you know, Russia guaranteed the sovereignty and uh, the security of the borders uh, in Ukraine. They just never bring that up. Oh, they like to talk about, oh, NATO promised they would do this and that and they wouldn't move east. Well, NATO didn't really promise that. Uh, but if you want to know the facts, let's talk about all of the facts. And I'm sorry that uh, we lost Steve there. Steve, I did not hang up on you. Your phone just dropped. Give, give us a call back if you like. Let me take one more, and then we will talk about this uh, Fox News lawsuit. Susan Redondo, welcome to the broadcast. Hi. I just wanted to say I'm heartbroken uh, about uh, Jimmy Carter. Mm. I, two of my proudest moments were being uh, recruited to be on the board of Habitat for Humanity of the Hamptons. Mm. And, to, um, and then another, which was linked to his good taste in a partner in Rosalind Carter, mm. was she worked tirelessly to create community mental health centers across the country. Mm-hmm. And I was um, a director of one of those programs, a women's counseling program, and co-founded a family counseling center and um, was uh, rec- uh, elected to the board of directors by the director's committee. So I've never been prouder. But I also remember when he was president. Um, and I think one of the things that never gets mentioned is his incredible courage to um, uh, do a very unpopular but very right thing of rationing gas Mm. so that we would uh, be energy independent. Mm -hmm. Um, And while people complained, it was the right thing to do and took a heck of a lot of courage 
And had we stayed with his energy policy, mm-hmm. and I believe it was under him that the electric car was born, um, that then um, Reagan and Bush uh, confiscated and uh, well, destroyed. You actually might be thinking um, of the solar we, panels yeah, on, on the... With President Carter's energy policy, mm-hmm. we would be at zero, and you know. At net zero carbon yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I hear you, Susan. And by the way, I think it was not the electric car. Uh, it was the solar panels that he put onto the uh, White House that Reagan subsequently came in and had removed from the White House. But no, thanks. But they also destroyed the electric cars that people owned. They made them give them back. I think that was the EV1. I think that was in the 90s. Yes. Yeah, that was the EV1. That was uh, late the 90s. Thank you, Susan. Um, it was, um, and let me just say, Rosalind Carter, those community mental health centers, yeah. they encouraged community. They saved lives. They saved a lot of money. And as soon as Bush Sr. and Reagan came in, they cut every support to mental health, to children, to families, and to the elderly. Thank you. The Carters were two of the greatest gifts we've had. And probably the last time I voted in election that I felt uh, other than my write-in votes for for Bernie and Jill Stein, that I felt good about voting. Thank you, Susan. I do appreciate that call and uh, your your uh, thoughts on the Carters, and of course your work with their organizations. If you'd like to ring in, our phone number is eight one eight. Nine eight five five seven three five eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. All right, there was a whole bunch of uh, stuff and nonsense, lies and nonsense in that montage I played at the top of the segment there, um, as as well as as you know, many of which of those lies serve as the basis for the one point six billion dollar defamation lawsuit that Fox News is now facing from the Dominion Voting System Company. They face another one from Smart. As well, by the way, the one from Dominion, however, as I'm sure you have heard since this uh, particular filing was made public late last week, seeks summary summary judgment from the trial judge in federal court in hopes of avoiding wasted time and money in a full trial on the facts of the case. Wasted, perhaps, as far as uh, Dominion might see it in any event. Fox News opposes the suit strongly, of course. And by the way, to be fair... Uh, that montage you heard at the top of the segment was sprinkled with a few actual truths about unoverseeable proprietary voting systems. Even if there is zero evidence, let me be clear, zero evidence that the systems were used to steal the election from Donald Trump in any way, shape or form back in 2020. Yes, it is possible to both accurately report that there is zero evidence that the election was stolen from Donald Trump and that Fox News appears to have defamed both Dominion and Smartmatic, yes, over and over again. And uh, still to point out the failures and flaws of the Dominion and Smartmatic voting system companies, as we have for years, both here on the program and at Bradblog.com, without getting sued for defamation, because as it turns out, we reported independently verifiable facts about those systems, as opposed to made-up stuff and nonsense, like you heard from... Many of the folks there, uh, like uh, during that uh, montage from attorneys, Trump attorneys, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Trump's disgraced former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, pillow guy, Mike Lindell, along with all of those Fox News hosts 
who should have known better. But they either didn't know better or they did know better and they did not care. And then they went on to help spread these lies, lies to their viewers about the 2020 election and the flawed privatized voting systems used to carry it off. As AP described this stunning 192-page filing by Dominion last week, hosts at Fox News had serious concerns about allegations of fraud in the 2020 presidential election being made by guests who were allies of former President Donald Trump. Quote, Sidney Powell is lying, unquote, about having evidence for election fraud, said Tucker Carlson privately to a producer about the attorney on November 16, 2020, just a week or two after the election. That, according to an excerpt from an exhibit that remains under seal from this lawsuit still, the internal communication was included into a uh, redacted summary judgment brief that was filed last week by attorneys for Dominion. Tucker Carlson also referred to Sidney Powell in a text as, quote, an unguided missile and, quote, dangerous as hell. Fellow Fox host Laura Ingram, meanwhile, told Tucker Carlson that Sidney Powell was, quote, a complete nut. No one will work with her, she said. Ditto with Rudy, referring to, of course, to Rudy Giuliani, the former New York mayor and the Trump attorney. Sean Hannity, meanwhile, said in a deposition in the case, quote, the whole narrative that Sidney was pushing, I did not believe it for one second, according to Dominion's filings. None of that, however, pre prevented one host after another on Fox News from misreporting on the 2020 presidential election. Dominion said some Fox News employees deliberately amplified false claims that Dominion had changed votes in the 2020 election and that Fox provided a platform for guests to make false and defamatory statements. They did. Attorneys for the cable news giant, on the other hand, argued in a counterclaim unsealed Thursday that the lawsuit itself is an assault on the First Amendment. Quote, Dominion brought this lawsuit to punish Fox News Network for reporting on one of the biggest stories of the day, allegations by the sitting president of the United States and his surrogates that the 2020 election was affected by fraud. That, according to the counterclaim from Fox News, the very fact of those allegations was newsworthy. They're talking about the allegations that Donald Trump was making, that he was claiming that there was fraud. So it was newsworthy for Fox News to report it. It's true. It was newsworthy. According to Dominion, said uh, Fox in their counterclaim, uh, uh, Fox News Network had a duty not to truthfully report the president's allegations, but to suppress them or denounce them as false. Fox attorneys wrote, quote, Dominion is fundamentally mistaken. Freedom of speech and freedom of the press would be illusory if the prevailing side in a public controversy could sue the press for giving a forum to the losing side. But what Fox did was very clear. Uh, they were concerned that viewers were fleeing to even farther right wing news networks like Newsmax and One America News Network, who had uh, those uh, channels had no compunction at all about running these false claims. Fox sort of did, but it was all kept privately. And frankly, it is one thing to say, uh, you know, things that are false. But more importantly here, the fact that there was zero evidence for those claims, as we explained on this show at the same time. Now, of course, as you know, the resources that we have here on the broadcast clearly rival those of Fox News. 
And yet somehow we were able to look at the claims being made and explain to you how they were wrong, how you know facts in evidence showed that these were untrue or how there was no evidence for the claims being made at all. Right here on a program that has, by the way, been perhaps more than any other in America over the past 20 years or so, more critical of voting system companies like Dominion, like Smartmatic, like ESNS, like Hard Inner Civic, like Diebold, you name it. We have been uh, harder on those companies uh, than perhaps likely any other program in the nation for the past 20 years. And yet we were never sued for defamation because what we reported was actually based on hard, independently verifiable evidence of the type that Fox News should have known. And now we know, thanks to this filing, by the way, they did know that that evidence never existed. They did not take care. As Tucker Carlson wrote to Sean Hannity in a message after a Fox reporter actually had the temerity to fact check. Yes, fact check. One of Donald Trump's false claims about fraud in the election. Uh, Tucker Carlson said, quote, please get her fired. Seriously. What the F? It needs to stop immediately. Like tonight, it's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. Not a joke. Here is the host of a of a a, a, a primetime program on Fox News worried that reporting facts by a Fox News producer is hurting the company and sending the stock price down. Uh, you better not keep telling the truth to Tucker Carlson's viewers. The, uh, the Fox reporter who did that, by the way, uh, deleted her fact check tweet the following day. Now, I, I hope to talk more about this case in the days ahead, hopefully on uh, on tomorrow's program with an expert on all of this. So I'm not going to get into too many of the details at the moment, other than to say Fox News may be in very, very big trouble here. Dominion has a very well-documented case. Fox uh, said many of its specific responses will come in their uh, in a document that uh, the judge in the case, Superior Court Judge Eric Davis in Delaware, has ordered sealed until February, the end of February. Fox said Dominion had mischaracterized the record and cherry picked quotes stripped out of context, which for Fox to complain about others cherry picking <laughs> quotes for Fox News to do that. Cherry-picking quotes and stripping them out of their context, that is hilarious on its own. But if either side can persuade Judge Davis to grant summary judgment in its favor, well, then the case will end without a jury trial, uh, at least on uh, on the merits of the case. It would go straight, I think, to a trial on uh, the, the penalties, on the money that Fox would be forced to pay up $1.6 billion if Dominion has its way. If not, uh, there is a trial scheduled to begin in mid-April. It is believed that it will take four or five weeks as a result of the famous New York Times versus Sullivan case and others that followed. Uh, such defamation cases against journalists are usually very hard to prove. Not that Fox News is a journalist, but will Go ahead with the fiction. We'll play along with that. But that means that Dominion must prove by a preponderance of the evidence that the Fox defendants actually acted with actual malice or reckless disregard for the truth. Well, 
they've uh, done a good start uh, with with this uh, filing last week. But ultimately, the case is about pulling back the curtain on what happened at the nation's largest media outlet that appeals to Republican viewers at a pivotal time at the networks and the nation's history. Quote, privately, Fox hosts and executives knew that Donald Trump lost the election and that he needed to concede, Dominion argued in their filing. But Fox viewers heard a very different story repeatedly. But, Brad, you seem to be uh, rooting for the very voting machine companies that you have criticized for so many years, even after many of these Trump and Fox folks took your reporting and used it as the source for some of their claims. And it's true. But they falsely used my reporting. They twisted it to make a false case without any evidence to support their false claims. And yes, as I've been noting for the past year or two since this case was filed, I'm not particularly comfortable finding myself on uh, in the position of supporting the private voting machine companies. Yes, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Isn't it? But it's not for partisan reasons. It's for factual reasons. And yes, there are still very serious concerns with their voting systems. And Democrats need to be very careful about dismissing such concerns out of hand, simply because Republicans have now decided to pretend that they have concerns about computerized voting and tabulation. And there's sort of this knee-jerk response of late from the left, at least from Democrats, that, oh, any concerns about voting systems, we don't want to talk about it. That's right-wing stuff. That's Republicans do that. In fact, there are good reasons to be concerned about these voting systems, whether Fox or Donald Trump or his supporters actually understand it, whether they actually believe it or not. Yes, it is possible to hold two seemingly conflicting ideas as true at the very same time. Last month, uh, we reported on a voting system mistally in Monmouth County, New Jersey, from the November 2022 election that was only just discovered last month. In January, months after the election, uh, the midterm elections in several townships in Monmouth County, New Jersey, results from several precincts had actually been fed twice into the same tabulator systems made by ES&S the largest voting system vendor in the country. And because their software is so terrible, there was no warning issued that the votes on that thumb drive had already been fed into the tabulator. This is like computer programming 101, people. And ES&S has been in this business for years at this point, and they still haven't figured out how to give a warning when the same exact votes are uploaded twice into the same tabulator system. So last month, then, we learned that in at least one county in Monmouth, uh, uh, I'm sorry, one contest in Monmouth County, New Jersey, the system actually had declared someone to be the winner who actually lost the race and a loser to have actually won an election that he apparently appears to have actually lost. There is reason whenever we cover election results uh, the day after an election, when I always give you that warning, I know it drives listeners crazy, uh, the warning that these results have not been verified by any human beings yet, and that voting systems, uh, voting system problems are often not discovered until days or weeks or even months after the election. And that's what exactly what happened in the Monmouth County case. A judge was forced to order an official hand recount in the elections months after they had already been certified, already declared a winner. 
And that uh, losing winner was actually somehow serving in office, even though he actually lost. As the New Jersey Globe reported just the week before last, a court ordered recount in Monmouth County after the uh, nation's largest voting machine manufacturer, ESNS, admitted to a programming error that caused some votes to be double counted. That recount, court-ordered, appears to have changed the outcome of one race in the November 2022 general election. In the Ocean Township School Board contest, a hand recount of ballots shows that Jeff Weinstein ended up with a four-vote lead against Steve Clayton. After the votes were tallied in November by these computers, Clayton was declared as having defeated Weinstein, then by, uh, then who was then the incumbent, uh, defeating him by 20 votes. He actually lost. Clayton took office last month, nonetheless, even though, uh, as we now know, he didn't actually win. In the hand count, Clayton lost, uh, lost 119 votes from his November total. Weinstein lost 95 votes. The New Jersey Attorney General has ordered an investigation into the system failure by ESNS. Once the new result is certified, the contest will likely then head back to Superior Court Judge uh, for instructions on removing Clayton from office and seating Weinstein. Somehow, if that's even possible, under state law. So, yeah, there are problems with voting systems, actual ones. And, by the way, New Jersey is by no means the only place where something similar has happened. On, uh, in, in, the, in the last election, underscoring, A, how dangerous these sorts of voting systems can be, and B, the importance of hand-counting paper ballots by human beings. Yes, it also happened right here in California. Though uh, we didn't hear about that mistally until the very end of last year, almost two months after Election Day and a month after the races were already falsely certified. I mean, it's insane that in 2023, we still use computer tabulator devices that are so poorly programmed they offer no warning when the same results are added to it twice. But that is only among the problems with these systems that we have been warning you about for some 20 years. In late December, just before the new year, we were off on holiday break, so we only learned about it fairly recently ourselves. We learned of another concern that we have long warned about, both computer tabulation and, yes, ranked choice voting, or RCV sometimes known as instant runoff voting. There was a stunning twist in an Oakland, California school board in Alameda County when Mike Hutchinson, who thought he lost his race in District 4 last November, actually turns out to have won the race. The Alameda County Registrar of Voters revealed an error in the tabulation process that would have moved Hutchinson from third place to first place in the November 3rd election last year, only discovered at the end of December. Hutchinson told KTVU News, quote, first, it's great news and it's shocking and surprising, he said at the time in late December. Until then, Nick Resnick was declared the winner. But here's what happened, according to the news release from uh, the Alameda County Registrar of Voters at the time. And don't worry, some of this sounds uh, confusing. I will unpack all of this for you. Several uh, Alameda County Registrar said several jurisdictions use ranked choice voting to conduct their elections in the county of Alameda. The Registrar of Voters learned that its RCV tally system was not configured properly for the November 22 general election. Oops. Yeah. 
That's not good. Uh, this underscores yet again why you know what I why which is one of the reasons I've long been opposed to rank choice voting, which many progressives like. I understand because they believe that it allows voters to not have to vote for the lesser of two evils. Uh, because if they vote for who they really want to win, it might allow someone who they really don't want to win to be the winner. So by ranking their choices on the ballot, supposedly, uh, if their first choice loses, well, it doesn't get more than 50 percent of the vote in the initial count. Then their uh, ranked choice for second place would then be added to the totals. Yes, it's very confusing. And yes, it is so confusing that it requires computers to tally such races since mere mortals cannot figure out the math and all of the votes have to all be in one place in order to tally them versus hand counting them at each precinct. So, again, I'll help decode this. But according to Alameda County, the tally systems, quote, should have been configured to advance ballots to the next ranking immediately when no candidate was selected for a particular round. So, for example, some voter might choose uh, might not choose a candidate as their number one vote, choosing instead only to rank a second place uh, choice in some sort of strategic voting scheme that, frankly, is way above my pay grade to understand. But this means that if no candidate was selected in the first round on the ballot, no candidate got more than 50 percent of the vote, then the second round ranking would count as the first round ranking. The third round ranking would count as the second and so on. Yes, I know it's confusing. I'm sorry. That's why I one of the reasons I oppose RCV. But for the November 22 general election, according to the registrar, the setting on the county's equipment counted the RCV ballots in the manner in which the ballot was completed, meaning that no vote was registered for those ballots in the first round, those ballots that didn't have a first place choice, only had a second place choice and so forth. No vote was registered for those uh, ballots when instead they should have been automatically moved up and counted as a first choice uh, vote, according to the way Alameda County does it. Got it? So if you didn't vote for a first place choice, then whoever you voted for second place should have immediately become your first place choice. Now, not all RCV elections are run that way. It's just another confusing problem with RCV. But in these particular races, the computer should have been configured to do that. If it didn't see a first place vote, it should have moved their second place vote up and counted it as their first place vote. Once the registrar's office became aware of the issue, the uh, registrar immediately investigated, worked with the vendor, which appears to be Dominion Voting Systems in this case, to figure out the source of the issue and how to resolve it. And after after reviewing the election data and applying the correct configuration, the registrar of voters learned that only one outcome, I guess thankfully, was affected. The Oakland school director in District 4 for the Oakland Unified School District. No other results for any of the other RCV elections in any of the jurisdictions was changed. Now, Hutchinson, who should have actually been declared the winner in this particular race, said, quote, about 250 votes in my race had to be retabulated because of the difference in the algorithm. And that was enough to change the results. Sean Duggar with the uh, California Ranked Choice Voting Coalition minimized the concerns. Oh, it's just human error, said Sean. It's simply a button that was checked on the algorithm that should not have been checked. 
Duggar said that the uh, error was discovered when the organization Fair Vote, which is one of the nation's longest and loudest proponents of uh, ranked choice voting, noticed the discrepancy between their results and the registrar's results when they ran a simulation of votes cast. Now, it's good on both California and Fair Vote that they were able to get the data in order to run their own simulation over at uh, Fair Vote to make sure the results were correct and discover the errors. But it is terrible that it would have otherwise been impossible to notice that the wrong winner had been named in an RCV election. And doesn't that mean that if, for example, this way that they discovered that there was this fairly egregious mistally, that means that every single race would have to have a simulation run on it in yeah. order to find out if it was yeah. right or not? Oh, yeah. That's insane. Right. We need elections that can be overseen by the people. As I've long said when it comes to ranked choice voting, uh, adding, you know, one plus one plus one is difficult enough, apparently, in American elections. By the time you add this insane algebra from ranked choice voting, well, you can see what you get. Uh, You get elections that may or may not have been uh, tallied correctly, but nobody, unless you're a rocket scientist with uh, all kinds of software to figure it out, nobody can figure out if the right winners actually won and the right losers actually lost. And in California, we have an example right here where that happened just in November of last year. And it wasn't discovered until the end of the year, like almost the last day of, of December. These are serious concerns, and it's one of the concerns that I have about voting system companies that, frankly, uh, do a terrible job, have made uh, terrible mistakes in their programming of these systems for years and years and otherwise make it impossible for citizens to oversee their own elections. That is a threat to democracy. And if you haven't noticed, that is a threat to democracy that folks like Donald Trump and Fox News have exploited over the past several years to the point where they were able to find thousands of people to overrun a U.S. Capitol to stop an election from being stolen, for which there is zero evidence that it was actually stolen. We need to pay attention to these things. These things matter. And by the way, to Democrats, just because it's Republicans now who are claiming that elections are stolen, even though they have no evidence to support their allegations, that does not mean that Democrats should ignore this concern that is very, very real. And, you know, we know it has affected an election uh, just last uh, year in California, another election, several elections in uh, in in Monmouth County, New Jersey. What I fear is the elections that we don't know that have been affected by all of this. Because there are not usually uh, independent computer uh, systems that are running through the results to make sure that they are accurate. It is very uh, most states do not allow people to actually hand count the ballots to make sure the computers got it right. Now, by the way, for those progressives out there who support ranked choice voting because it makes it easier for third parties to become elected or to get around the lesser of two evils type of voting that happens in our normal Uh, first past the post plurality voting system, I might recommend you take a look at something called approval voting. It's similar to ranked choice voting, but it is far less complicated. Basically, voters simply choose yes or no for all of the candidates on the race. Yes, I like this guy. No, I don't like that guy. 
Yes, I like this woman. No, I don't like that woman. Whatever. You say yes or no for everyone on the ballot. Whoever gets the most yes votes wins. It's easily counted. It can even easily be counted by hand. It can be counted by the same computer systems we use now if you want. Voters and candidates don't get confused by it. None of it relies on confusing computer code that is often misprogrammed, as we saw in those races I just told you about. And Lord knows how many others that we don't know about. And yes, it is possible to hold both Fox News accountable for lying about voting machine companies and hold voting machine companies accountable for their failures without, uh, you know, getting sued by them. Because when we report on those companies, we do so with independently verifiable evidence. Fox News ought to try it someday. All right. We have got to get out, I think. Do we? We, we don't have to get out. Oh, we can. Uh, oh, I can go. Oh, yes. I get one more call here. Thank you. Matt in San Luis Obispo. Uh, don't have a lot of time. What's on your mind, Matt? Oh, OK. Well, just quickly, you were talking about, you know, <clears throat> people's disassociation, you know, cognitive dissonance. And I would say this is the number one reason people have a hard time getting along here and also our representatives because they they attach to something with emotional decisions and will not budge no matter what facts are laid before them so Thank you very much, Matt. Good to hear from you, my friend. Appreciate your thoughts. We got to get out here. My thanks to uh, everyone who called in today. Apologies to those I could not get to. Um, And apologies to those whose call dropped in the middle of it. Sorry about that as well. But thanks for uh, ringing in. Thanks also to my board operator today, Yauto Rosco, and to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1805. That was the day that abolitionist and women's rights advocate Angelina Grimke was born. Her parents were slaveholders and among the wealthiest in Charleston, South Carolina. As a young woman, she denounced slavery and together with her sister Sarah, moved north to Philadelphia to join the Quakers. There she became a teacher and grew frustrated with how the Quakers approached abolitionism. She quickly gravitated towards radical abolitionists like William Lloyd Garrison and became active in the Philadelphia Female and anti-slavery society. She became prominent in abolitionist circles in 1835 after Garrison published her letter condemning pro-slavery riots in Boston. The next year, she published an open letter to Southern women demanding they condemn the institution of slavery. Angelina and Sarah embarked on abolitionist speaking tours and the organizing of women's anti-slavery societies. 
Yes. Having grown up in the South, the Grimke sisters held a special authority among Northern abolitionists. They could testify to the severity and inhumanity of the slave system. They did so in the book American Slavery As It Is, written together with Angelina's husband, abolitionist Theodore Well. Controversy intensified against Angelina and her sister as their popularity grew. Religious leaders and abolitionists alike bristled at the idea of women engaging in public speaking and political work. Undeterred, the sisters defended their right to be on equal footing with men in the abolitionist movement. Harriet Beecher Stowe's sister Catherine, a leading educator, was among those who decried women's public activism. Angelina responded that all humans are moral beings worthy of human rights regardless of gender. Her response served as an early contribution to the women's rights movement of the 19th century. 